And as we study the Word of God, <clears throat> we see glimpses of the real Jesus, not just a man, not just the Son of Man, but a Jesus who was the God of the universe, the King of Kings. The, we, we see glimpses of his majesty and his greatness and his power in the word of God. I'll give you two examples. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, I preached on it a couple, couple weeks ago. Jesus goes into the synagogue in Capernaum, his hometown. The place is packed. And Jesus takes and he, and, 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 and he, he reads from the scroll. He, somebody hands him the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and it was Isaiah 65, and he says words like, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Sight, you know, recovery of all the freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release from oppression, declaring the year of the Lord's favor, and he says all these, these words, and then he, immediately the Jews recognize him, that the one who says these words, Isaiah prophesied way back, centuries before, the one who says these very words are really saying that he himself is the Messiah. He's identifying himself as a Messiah. And he blows these people away. But you know what happens? That, that crowd of God, so-called God-fearing believers... Are, are, you know, they, they suddenly nudge each other and say, hey, like, who is this guy anyway? Like, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this just Joseph the carpenter's son? Like, who does he think he is anyway? So they get irate, and they begin to hate him. They take offense at him. They grab him, and they drag him out of the synagogue to the edge of town, and right to the edge, right on the, the brow of a high cliff, and they're ready to, to kill him, to, to toss him up. At that very moment, Jesus spins, he turns around, he, and, and the, Bible, the Bible says that he walks straight through that angry mob. It's like the crowd parted like the Red Seas. You know, there's that old hymn. There's an old hymn that says, he could have called... 10,000 angels. Anybody remember that old hymn? And, and at any time, that's what Jesus could have done. He could have snapped his fingers. 10,000 angels would have showed up instantly. You know, I've I got to say this. I'm, you know, it's a good thing it was Jesus and it wasn't me because I probably would have called 10,000 angels. You know? But here the Bible says he walks straight through that angry mob. And the crowd divides and he strides through the midst of them. And no one can even lay a hand on him. Wow. You know, so what was in him? What was radiating from his person? It's the night. Let's fast forward. It's the night of his betrayal. And he's, he's ready to be arrested. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, betrays Jesus, sells his soul to the devil. The devil enters him. He becomes possessed by Satan himself, and he's on a mission. It's, on the, it's at nighttime. In John chapter 18, verse 3, it says the Pharisees and the leading priests had given Judas a large detachment of Roman soldiers and temple police to seize Jesus. 
Now, the commentary in this version says this. The Greek and the Aramaic words implies that a large company of soldiers, from 500 to 600 soldiers, along with temple police and all those other religious guys, were sent to arrest Jesus. See, we see this, that even his enemies knew that his power was great. So just as the Roman soldiers and the temple police were preparing to arrest Jesus, a supernatural power was released. So strong that it literally knocked these, the entire band of 600, five to 600 soldiers backwards and right down to the ground. You know, talk about being, I said, talk about being slain in the spirit. John chapter 18, verses 4 to 6. This is the King James Version. It says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, he went they went backward and fell to the ground. It was as if an invisible bomb was detonated with so much explosive strength that, it, that was released that that power literally knocked all those soldiers flat on their backs. All I got to say is, wow, this is my Jesus. This is my God. This is my King. Amen? You know, there are so many songs that, uh, of Christian songs that have been written that exalt him as king. And one of them is this well-known song called Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Joy to the World. The Lord is come. And what does it say next? The, that earth receive her king. That every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature's sing. Joy to the World, written in the year 1719 by Isaac Watts, author, scholar, theologian. And the lyrics, it's, it's lyrics, the lyrics of the song, it's are, 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 are a Christian reinterpretation of Psalm 98. If you read Psalm 98, it's like, that's joy to the world right there. You see all the elements of Psalm 98 in joy to the world. It's like a reinterpretation of the Psalm 98, only this time it's written in song and in music and lyrics for praise and worship unto God. It was originally named the Messiah's coming and his kingdom, and it was sung all year round. See, here's the reality. I believe the believers in past century, 15th, 16th, 17th century, were much, much more aware of the kingdom of God, more aware than we are today. You know, but I, I believe this too, also. I believe that today, right today and now, that God is elevating, once again, the concept of the king and his kingdom. You know, these are days we're talking about the king. It's the king, the king, the king. It's all about, it's about Jesus. 
And, when, when, and that's the central theme and message of, uh, I believe, that's going around the world today. It's about the king and his kingdom. And that was the main theme and message of Jesus, wasn't it? He, he always talked. He talked all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is mentioned, 100, the kingdom is mentioned 162 times in the Bible, 120 times in the New Testament, spoken mostly by Jesus himself. He came to this earth to bring the message of the kingdom. Amen? You know, most, most Christians today know about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And most Christians know about his crucifixion and his resurrection. But the kingdom is, is a concept that is foreign to many people today. They might have heard about it, but they don't really understand it. Let me ask you a question. It's on your PowerPoint tune. Has the kingdom come? Or is it still coming? Has his kingdom come? Or is it still coming? Did the kingdom come when Jesus came to earth? Or is it still coming? Or is it still coming because we're supposed to be praying to the Lord, your kingdom come? Or has it already come? What's the answer to the question? Yes, absolutely. You guys are so smart. The answer is yes to both. It has come. The kingdom has come. And it's yet still coming. The kingdom for some people in this world has just come. Last week we had two ladies. I'm not sure if you're here this morning. Two ladies, two wonderful ladies received Christ. They became citizens of the kingdom. Born again into the kingdom of God. See the, and you know, and you, you realize the kingdom of God is yet to come to many, many, many people. There is a move of God yet to come, where literally hundreds, thousands, millions are yet to be swept into the kingdom of God. It's coming. His kingdom is coming. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's invincible. And it's unstoppable. Amen? And it's going to fill this earth. And it's going to dominate this earth in a way we've never seen before. Amen? You know, you've got to go right back to God's original design. Right in the time of Adam and Eve. Talk about God's original intent. When God created Adam and Eve, God, God's plan was for them to rule over this earth. But if you read the story of Adam and Eve, go back to Genesis 1, 2, 3, you'll find that Adam and Eve sinned, dis disobeyed God. And because they disobeyed God, what, hap what, what happened was this curse fell upon all mankind. Genesis 3, 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. Let me tell you, most times it's always good to listen to your wife, right, guys? So don't use this as a scripture against your wife. I listened to you, so I got in trouble. No. It was only, no, it was only Adam. It was only you. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. See, the brokenness that we see every day in the world today is because of the rejection of mankind, of Adam and Eve, originally mankind, of God's rule over their lives and God's plan for their life. So when Jesus came, he came to a world that was literally under, living under the world. Uh, under the curse of sin and sorrows. 
And he came. He came to seek and to save what was lost. And what, and what was lost was God's original plan in the Garden of Eden. So the third stand up, stanza of the song, Joy to the World, says, No more that sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Do you see that? He comes to make his blessings flow. The question, question, how far will his blessings flow? How far will they flow? Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. The message of joy to the world is this, is that you and I can live a blessed life in a cursed land. Amen? Message of joy to the world. You know, is that you and I have every reason to rejoice because Jesus came to restore back to you and I, to mankind, his original plan. And that plan was for man to have a personal relationship with God. And he did it only through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? What a gift. What a gift. You know, but here's what I believe. But here's the thing. But as believers, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can live in the realm and under and in the realm of God's rule, of God's kingdom, or we can live subject to the realm of this, of this world. And you can be a believer. I'm talking about being a believer and being subject to one or uh, the influence of either one realm or the other realm. So, so we can either, so we can do life the kingdom way, which is God's way, and know his kingdom is good, it's merciful, it's, it's full of wisdom, and in, this, in the kingdom, he's the king. And his word is the rule, right? His word rules, and we are to be obedient to him. So we can live under the kingdom, and the kingdom of God. Paul said to the Romans, not a matter of eating and drinking it, but it's a righteousness, peace, and what? Joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. So we can live in that realm, or we can live in this other realm, the realm of this world, we can end up living under the curse. And we live, living under, when I say living under the curse, it's living under the secular world view. Living under the media world view. Living under the political world view. And we've got to be careful what we take in, what we believe, what we're hearing. Because we can have our li- end up uh, having our lives dominated and driven by the secular world view, by the news of the day, the news of the day. And let me tell you, lies, often lies are the news of the day. And lies, what, lies, what do lies do? They kill, they destroy, and they rob people's lives. But when people live, when you and I live in kingdom ways, and, and in God's ways, the opposite happens. The concepts, the thoughts, and the ways of the kingdom produce a, diff, a totally different outcome. And the, I say the more you live under the king and under his kingdom, the more you live over this world. Amen? You become an overcomer. There are two kingdoms in this world. And I've said this many times. Two kingdoms in this world. The kingdom of light the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of light. And here, 
the kingdom of darkness, how does, it get, how does the kingdom of darkness get its power? You know how? Through the promotion of lies and deception. That's the kingdom of darkness. How does the kingdom of God get its power? The kingdom of God gains its power in our lives through the light of God's truth. By revelation of his truth by Holy Spirit, you gain power over this life by the continual, and that word is so important, but the continual revelation of truth. On your PowerPoint, it's by knowing the truth and by living in the truth that you gain power over this life. You save your life. And when you think about when Jesus came, even when he came as a baby in that manger, he came not, in, not to fit in to this world into the concepts, philosophies, and ideals of this world. He didn't do that. What did he do? He came to bring the kingdom, the concepts of the king, God's way of doing things. And he calls us into kingdom concepts. And the power of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom is in its truth. It's in its truth. You know, how many, how many times have you tried it your way and it didn't work out? How many have you tried? You know, the ways of this world, they, you know, they don't work. And they can be disastrous. The way they don't work. They don't work in your marriage. They don't work in your family. They don't work in your relationships. They just don't work. Let's look at the lyrics in that fourth stanza, stanza of Joy to the World. It says, that first line says this. He rules the world with what? Truth and what? Grace. Truth and grace. John 1.17, next verse. says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. You know, you know and as believers, uh, we, you know, sometimes we can find ourselves struggling, trying to live in the balance of both, right? And often we could find ourselves falling to either one side or the other side. But, you know, I believe that most of the time we prefer grace, don't we? A lot of people love grace. I mean, we think, well, the Christian life is supposed to be all about grace, all about grace. Here, here. I believe that one of the reasons why so many believers and Christians still live under the, under, under the curse is because they don't like grace. So, you know, when the conversation moves in the direction of grace, truth, right? And, sorry, in the, in the direction of truth. Truth about their their behavior, or pr truth about their attitudes, truth about their words, right? Um, truth about their secrecy. As soon as it moves towards those areas, you know what happened? They get offended. They get offended. And you know, as a pastor, I've seen it happen over the years. I've seen it happen a lot. Someone receives grace. They get saved. They get born again. They're so excited. They start coming to church, and they love coming to church. But... Then they hear a message from the pulpit. Or a friend of the Christian friends about saying, you know, you know, say something to them, speaks something to them regarding truth in their life. Or maybe when their small group leader speaks to them. Some, in other words, someone brings up the truth. And the next thing that happens is offense. It happens so many times. You know? And when that happens, they're gone. 
And it's such a sad situation. See, the, here, the kingdom of God is not about 50% grace and 50% truth. You know what it is? It's 100% grace and 100% truth. That's what it is. And we have to be honest. For example, you know, when you come into the kingdom of God, when you came into the kingdom, when you accepted Christ, you had to do something. You had to recognize that, that you were a sinner, that you needed a savior. And so what did you have to do? You had to repent. You had to turn or you had to do a, not a 360. You had to do a 180. And that's the truth. You had to repent. The only way to get saved is to repent. It's the only way to get grace. And that's the truth. Right? Now, a lot of people want grace. But I thought God was a God of grace. Well, he is exactly right. Like good, you know, I thought, of God, or I thought of God, that God was a, a God of grace. I thought he was a, a God of love. Well, like, that's exactly right. God is a God of love. Like good parents love their kids, right? And like good parents, you tell their kids when they're toddlers, you know, when they're young, you can't run out the street anytime you want. You can't do that. You got to listen to me. You can't lie and you can't... You can't cheat. You can't steal. Or you're going to get punished. There are consequences, right? Time out. Maybe a spank. Oh, you can't say that. <laughs> but you know, good parents, like good parents, it's all about love. And that's why they have rules, right? But we have a good God. And that's why He has rules. Amen? Amen? See, I believe you've got to embrace both. It's 100% truth and 100% grace in order to experience this kingdom life. Amen? It's possible. Uh, some of you are saying, Hey, Pastor, I thought, I thought this was going to be a nice Christmas message. I thought, where's the warm, fuzzy feelings? Right? Well, this is a good, this is a Christmas message. Joy is about truth as well as grace. Amen? Yeah. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest men who ever lived. There's <clears throat> a picture of you. Do I have a picture? Yeah, there he is. The great German pastor. I just saw this on Facebook last night and I thought, I've got to put this up. Pastor, theologian, martyr, spy, who was, who was asked, and he and lived in a time of World War II, Nazi Germany, martyred for Jesus, was asked in 1943, how was it possible for the church to sit back and let Hitler seize absolute power. His firm answer, it was the teaching of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion. I didn't hear a lot of amen, sir. <laughs> Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We live in a time and culture that not only teaches cheap grace, but praises it. And that is so true. Some of the messages I, as I hear, is, it's, it's all grace, there's no truth in it. There's very little truth, I should say. 
You know, I talk about me. Let's talk about me, my preaching. I know sometimes people don't like what I say. I know sometimes they don't like it. You know, you know and I'm so sometimes, not you guys, you know. <laughs> it's those people online, no. no. You've got to be in church, right? <laughs> you know, I know that people, sometimes people say, you know, like, why do you say what you say? Why do you mention politics? You know, you know, you know it's not just mention, it's not politics I'm talking about. Not just politics. It's about morality. It's about morality. What is morally right and being produced in our world today? You know, and, and as a preacher, I want to tell you, I'm not here to give you nice, warm, fuzzy feelings to make you happy all the time. I mean, I love to do that, you know, but, but that's not my job. I'm, you know, I'm not preaching to be popular, but I'm here to give you the truth because it's only the truth that will cause you to triumph in your life. Amen? Yeah. Thank you. And because I believe that in a fallen world of chaos, truth is the only solution. The kingdom of, the, 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 the message of the kingdom is the bedrock of truth for us as believers. We are called to speak the truth in love. Not lies, because lies don't help everyone. Lies don't ever save anyone. So, tell the truth. Be bold, be brave, tell the truth. Listen to this. The truth will set you free if you can handle it and not be avoided, offended by it. The truth will set you free if you can handle it, if you're not offended by it. Let me tell you, when somebody speaks the truth, it hurts. And you can easily be offended. I've been a believer for like over 30 plus years. But listen, I know at any time somebody can see something in me and they could tell me straightforward, no, pull no punches like my wife could speak to me and she could just put that sword in me, you know, that sword wounds. But it's the best thing because it kills the cancer that's inside of me. Amen? You know, we need, here, here, the best thing you could do is, is be, let's be a people who are willing to let others speak the truth into our lives. Amen? Not just anybody, but somebody that you know that's living for God and he loves and he cares for you. Be open to that. I think that's the best thing we can do. I'm preaching this today because I'm, I'm aware that there's so much more deception that we're, that's in the world today that's ever been in the past. It's in the world, but you know what? It's also creeping into the church today as well. And let's face it, you know, I, I know pastors that said, you know, the Bible is the absolute truth. All of a sudden say, oh, I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure that a God who loves people would ever send anyone to hell. Yeah, there is hell, but I don't think God would. It just makes to scare people. You know, that's not right. You know, we're no longer living in a world that believes in absolute truth. I love the words of G.K. Chesterton. It's up on the screen. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Isn't that right? So true. Case in point, how many people are being influenced and have been influenced by Facebook every single day? Well, Facebook will now tell tells people, 
that there are now at least 58 gender options. 58 gender identifications. Can you believe that? So the question is, you know, like how can people believe that there are actually 58 gender options? How can you believe that? You know why? Because when people stop believing in God, they will believe in anything. 58? Come on. Come on, 58? No, two. Only two. God says two and only two. I'm getting excited now. Because it's so good to preach the truth. Amen? Truth sets people free. But you have a pastor, but you're not being loving. When you say those types of things, you're not being. I am being loving because I'm speaking the truth to you. So don't fill our children with lies. Amen? Speak the truth because it sets them free. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've got to finish up here before I get in trouble. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Let's look at that, that, that stanza again, that in, 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 the, in joy to the world, the last stanza. He rules the world with truth, truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love and the wonders of his love and the wonders, wonders of his love. Wow. You know, God wants you to have, be, live in grace and truth because he loves you so much. This world is in darkness. And we're not here as the people of God to ch- curse the darkness. We are, as the people of God, to bring the light of God, to bring the truth of God, to bring the, the grace of God, and to bring the love of God into this world who desperately needs to receive it. Amen? We're the ones. We're the vessels. You know? And God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he came at Christmas time. And he came... As a baby born in a manger, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's thank God for Jesus. Let's thank him for, the, for, for who he is. He's born as the king. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Bow your heads. Thank you, Jesus. We are living in the season of the king. He's bringing his kingdom into this world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature's sing. Thank you, Father the greatest gift that you could ever send us is the gift of your son, the gift of the promise, the gift of eternal life, the gift of yourself. You stepped down from heaven, came, incarnated in the form of your son, human flesh, God clothed in flesh. You were born as a baby. You were ridiculed. You were crucified. 
but you can resurrect that you are now King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this Christmas, as we celebrate the very beginnings of you coming to earth, Lord, let that revelation take deep root in our hearts. Thank you for the incredible season called Christmas, because it's all about you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. As we keep our heads bowed, I believe that there's someone here. God is calling you into the kingdom. Maybe it's someone watching online. Today, open up your heart. Make room for him. Make room for the gift he wants to give you. The gift of the king. The gift of heaven. The gift of eternal life. This gift, I tell you, is worth giving up everything for. And it's even worth dying for. If that's you, you haven't received Christ into your, into your heart, open up your heart. Receive him today. It's so easy, simple to do that. But it requires every bit of your heart. So with every bit of your heart, will you open it up and will you receive Christ through this prayer? Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for all my sins. Today I receive you into my heart to be Lord and Savior for my life. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen.